It's Sunday morning, and we are uh, kind of continuing what we've been in. I ran into a verse last week that took me right back to my previous studies. We were talking about Mother's Day last week, and we found that a mother wasn't who we think it is. Mother's Day is pagan in origin. It goes back to the ancient world, and I'm, I can't teach on this one week and be through it. <clears throat> is Mother's Day harmless? In his law to the nation of Israel, Jehovah God declared, you must not mention the name of other gods. It should not be heard from your mouth in Exodus 23:13. The Encyclopedia Britannica says on Mother's Day, a festival derived from the custom of mother worship in ancient Greece, formal mother worship with ceremonies to Sybil, to Rhea, R-H-E-A. The great mother of the gods were performed on the Ides of March throughout Asia Minor. Some historians believe that the earliest celebrations of Mother's Day was the ancient spring festival dedicated to mother goddesses. That would be on the 25th of March. That was when the morning for the god Tammuz would end. And that was nine months exactly before the birth of the pagan sun god on December the 25th. That was Mithra. And that would be the end of mourning, the 40 days mourning for Tammuz. And it that started on the very last day of Mardi Gras, which was Fat Tuesday, and they were going to mourn over the god Tammuz. It all connects with the same system. Mother's Day is not any different than Ishtar, Easter, or the Feast of Saturn there in Rome, which was uh, brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. And he goes on to say, the ancient Greek empire had a spring festival honoring Ray, wife of Kronos. Kronos means the horned one. And Kronos was the uh, savior, one of the saviors, because they had many saviors in Egypt. In Kronos, sometimes it's spelled K-R-O-N-O-S, sometimes C-R-O-N-O-S. And this is the same system that Israel became involved in, and the reason God scattered them all over the face of the earth. He scattered northern Israel in 722 B.C. in the 17th chapter of Second Kings. He scattered southern Judah in in 586 B.C. because of their going after these same gods. And uh, he scattered southern Judah in, seven, in 586 B.C. And when he did that, that was in the 25th chapter of Second Kings and in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles. That was the annihilation of Israel because they went after Easter or went after the Feast of Saturn, or they went after Kronos. And it was called the Horned One because <clears throat> that was supposed to be 
in in the ancient world it was said by many of the writers particularly by in two Babylons by Alexander Hislop that Shem killed uh, killed uh, Kronos or Nimrod and <clears throat> Nimrod supposedly went out and slew a great bull put the horns on his head tied the t tail around his waist tied the hooves around his feet and that's where we get the picture of Satan of course Satan it doesn't come like that that's that's too evil looking he comes uh, transforming himself into an angel of light and that is looking like Jesus now let me read the rest of this I'm just gonna read another end of this paragraph in Rome there was Mother's Day like festival dedicated to the worship of Sybil also a mother goddess ceremonies in her honor began some 250 years before Christ was born this Roman religious celebration known as Hilaria lasted for three days March 15th to the 18th then came the adoption of Mother's Day in the United States and that's another complete story it was a story where this woman who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic tried to get Mother's Day started. I'm not going to read all of this, but she went to the Pope in Rome and tried to get his blessing upon the Mother's Day. It is absolutely pagan in origin. We learned some things about who our mother was. Our mother, we found out in the fourth chapter of Genesis, we found out that our mother is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that the church, this is our mother, and that the church is called there in Hebrews, uh, church. the church. church. G-H-U-R. I guess I better put the U in there. The church is our is is the heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn. That is who our mother is, is the church. We learned some other things about her. Uh, you will learn from the church. We learn that our mother, that when we honor our mother and our father at length of days. And this is a kind of a shadow. Length of days and long life is in our hands. If we honor the word of God, this is talking about honoring where the church instructs us. Where does the church instruct us? Well, the church has the law written on fleshy tables, written on fleshy tables of the heart. That's where we get our instruction. We know what the truth is. It's written in our hearts. People write to me or they'll call me and say, should I be doing this or should I be doing that? I say, well, if you have to ask me, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. If it's written in your heart, you know what's right and wrong. And so length of days and long life is in her hand. Honor your mother and father that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And that's the first commandment with promise. 
length of days. And then we found out, we got to reading over there in Proverbs, in Proverbs, the third chapter, that wisdom and understanding, wisdom and understanding are the same thing as our mother. Because when we have wisdom and understanding, there in Proverbs, the third chapter, that she, 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 she is called a she. Wisdom and understanding is called a she. And then it turns around and says, she is a tree of life. And that length of days and long life. I want you to learn this. Learn how to do this. Notice long life is in her hand. Notice that the tree of life has possesses the same thing as a mother, our mother Jerusalem. Therefore, Jerusalem, our mother, being instructed by the law that's written in our hearts that they are the same thing. These have to be the same thing because length of days and long life is in her hand. We learned some other things about a mother, that she has a fruit, the fruit of righteousness, fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Tree of life. So therefore, the fruit of righteousness, and you don't have a fruit that's just a wandering fruit. Uh, you, if you have a fruit anywhere in the Bible, it will be the same thing as a fruit over here in Galatians a fruit in Galatians 5.22. The Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit. Learn to do this. If you see one thing that's equal to something else and it possesses the same thing, length of days and long life, length of days and long life, it's like the axiom Things that are equal substituted for equals, the results are equals. You can actually substitute the tree of life for the mother, and you can substitute the tree of life for the fruit of the Spirit. God says, I change not. Change, shana, S-H-A-N-A-H, means to duplicate or mutate. God doesn't have a mutation of a tree of life that has fruit in it, and then you got fruit over here, fruit of righteousness. Uh, let me give you that verse. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life in Proverbs 11.30. Learn to look at the scripture. If something equals to something one place, and it's equal to something else another place, though they're the same things. It's just like I've taught on the two witnesses, and I've taught on the 
the seven candlesticks. The seven candlesticks, the Bible says that Jesus is standing in the middle of them. I'm just going to kind of let you see what I do here when I'm thinking. I'm using mathem simple first week math algebra mathematics. I mean, the first week you get in algebra, you're going to have to learn these basic axioms. And whenever, look here in Revelation, the first chapter. This is not the message, but this is the way I will put things together. And I've had people say, well, how do you see these things? And we don't see them. You have to use simple mathematics. Now, I don't get into some in-depth mathematics. Well, I do when I'm talking about the salt of the earth. But when you look here in Revelation, learn this. Jesus is standing in the middle of the candlesticks. Goodness, if I'm not careful, I'll get off the track. He's standing in the middle of the candlesticks and he says that uh, he's talking about the seven churches of Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, in the 11th verse, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the first, excuse me, the second and the third chapter about these churches and each one of them has a glitch or a sin in them. So you have to... Gosh, this is going to tie together. They'll have, a, they'll have a glitch in them. And it has to do with the tree of life. Now that's amazing, isn't it? They have a sin in them. And then Jesus is standing in the middle of the candlesticks there in 12 and 13... And then he's got seven stars in his right hand in verse 16. Seven stars. What do you think of when you think of the seven stars? Pleiades, that's right. And what do we think of when we think of Pleiades? What was it they were supposed to do? Bring the sap up in the vine so they could have fruit. Whoops. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit. So they could have fruit. The rabbis said that the Pleiades, which was the seven stars, goodness, let me go over here. The Pleiades, God tells Job in the 38th chapter of Job, can you bind the sweet influences of Pleiades and loose the bands of Orion? We wouldn't have any idea what that means unless we have a McClellick and Strong, because I've never found it anywhere else. But you look up Pleiades and Orion, and Pleiades was said by the rabbis to cause the fruits to ripen in the vine. It doesn't mean influences that Pleiades is going to influence your life. It doesn't mean that. Can you bind these sweet influences of Pleiades and keep the, the fruit from ripening? I can do that. I can 
binding influences, the sweet influences of Pleiades would be like the new moon hay, like the apple blossoms. And Orion was the evening star, and they said that Orion caused the sap to go down in the spring. That was the whole idea of the gods. You remember all the gods? They said the evil gods took the took the sap down and didn't come back till the spring. That was the evil gods. Or the evil demons that would be like sticks, S T Y X. That was a rock group. But they got this. The river sticks. You had to cross the river sticks to go into Hades. And we're not gonna get into that. But anyway. The sticks and Hades were evil gods. Sticks, Hades. Pluto, long before there was a dog named Pluto, there was an evil god named Pluto. And, and they had many evil gods, and then they had the good gods, and they had down here in the spring, they had that was the where they worshiped the goddess of the spring, Ishtar. And Ishtar would resurrect Tammuz in the spring. And the writers tell us that the seven stars of the Pleiades, they're best seen in the springtime to the naked eye at night because they come out right before dawn. And that's where they come up with the idea they brought the, the sap up in the spring. And it, they attributed it to evil gods, so they said they had to worship these gods and get them. You had the good gods like Hercules and Perseus, and they would go down into the underworld. Hercules had 12 labors. He had to go into the underworld. Perseus went down in the underworld and, and conquered Medusa. You'll see that in the... And the uh, Clash of the Titans, the first movie, you'll see exactly what that was about. So it's all about crops, food. It's about fruit of the Spirit. When he said, can you bind the sweet influences of Pleiades, he meant, can you stop the crops from ripening in the spring? And then he turned around and said, can you loose the bands of Orion? Orion supposedly kept the sap down and kept the crops from ripening. And this is rabbinical opinion. It's not whether it was true or not. The point was God used their beliefs to point out to them, I can bind the sweet influences of Pilates, stop the crops from, bringing, from coming out. What was the covenant all about in Deuteronomy 28? It all goes back to food, doesn't it? goes back to food. If you're obedient to me and, and keep my laws and statutes, you will have plenty of food. I'll fill up your storehouses. And they thought they had to go after these pagan gods in order to keep them. Everything in the Old Testament is about these gods. You can't even get away from studying it any time during the year. This is not just an Easter message or a Christmas message or a Halloween message or a Mardi Gras message. This is about everything that caused Israel to be scattered. And when Christ comes back, he'll destroy all of this. 
I've got a shirt that says, when Jesus comes back, he will destroy Christmas. And a woman looked at that one day and go, what? I didn't bother to explain it to her. Now, I just want to show you how how I will lay this stuff out in my mind. I'll substitute equals for equals. You get down here in verse 20. Verse 20 is a glossary. How many times have I put gloss on the board? That means foreign language. A glossary, glossa means foreign language. That's one of the words for tongue in the Bible. A glossary is a section of a book that you've got words that are foreign to the average reader. And when you look at that, you find that verse 20 is a glossary for the entire book of Revelation when you read verse 20. Because he tells you what the seven churches are. He tells you what the seven candlesticks are. He tells you what the what the seven angels of the seven churches are. Let's read it. When you, you're going to get into these same angels all through the book. And the mystery of the seven stars. Seven. We know one thing the seven stars is. It's the Pleiades, don't we? And which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels. Let me put it this way. Seven stars equal seven A-G-G-E-L-O-S seven messengers. All of the pastors of churches in the first century were called angels because they were all messengers. You can be you can be an angel and not be a heavenly angel. All the preachers were called let me say it the way they said it, messengers, because that's what they were. Boy, if we can take the word angel and throw it to the wind and put the word there that it actually is, we can get over a lot of this superstitious stuff. The Lord told Paul to write down in Colossians, the second chapter, Beware lest any man spoil you or lead you away in the worshiping of angels which they have not seen. And people will say, I saw an angel in my room. Don't you believe that? It's kind of like saying, I saw Jesus. Jesus said, anybody says they see me, the next time the world sees me, it'll be as the lightning shines from the east to the west. That'll be all around the world. Well, the seven angels are the seven messengers of the seven churches. The stars have to do with the oil that's inside that's inside the lamps. These are seven lamps. Let me see here. What did I do with that? Must put it here. Over here. The only purpose, I've said this, the only purpose of the of the seven angels, the message is the light. So when, when you've got each one of these lit up, they had inside of the 
of the candlesticks there was olive oil and that gave the light the only purpose of the churches is to give the light give the light out and it would come from here so the angels or the message is the light coming from the candlesticks and the candlesticks is the church this is very figurative language if you can't understand that you'll never understand this first chapter of revelation or the rest so when i'm not going to get into it i'm just going to show you if you flip over to chapter 8 chapter 8 Verse 2, and I saw thee, not a group of seven angels, but these seven angels, which is out of the first chapter, which is the messengers of the seven churches. Can you see that? Very simple. I saw these seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Remember, I've said that trumpets were voices. They tell you what to do. If you hear, da, 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 that means charge. Or if you hear, that's Reveille. I went to a military school. I can say that all day long. I know that's Reveille. That means get up. It's time to go eat. And they had a trumpet call for everything. So these seven angels have got seven trumpets, seven voices. And then you got the seven angels in eight, nine, and ten. And the last angel sounds in Revelation 11 and, uh, excuse me, ten and seven. But in the days of the voice of the last angel, the seventh angel, the mystery of God is finished and that's the church. It's complete. I'm not going to go any further than that. Then you go on over here to chapter 15. And we see seven angels. Verse 1, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. So it's the same seven angels that you find in verse 20. Like I said, it's a glossary for the book. Tells you what it's all about. But there's one other thing I've got to show you here. This is uh, the seven angels, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches of Asia. The seven angels are the seven messengers. But there's another thing that they are. Go back over here to Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Zechariah 4. Now you won't get this all of a sudden because I studied on this for years and it starts coming together. Look in Zechariah. Zechariah is the next to the last book of the Old Testament. Next to the last book. And that fourth chapter. And I want you to learn to substitute equals for equals. Because when you substitute equals for equals, you find some answers. And in the fourth chapter, you'll see, in the fourth chapter of Zechariah, you see two olive trees standing by seven candlesticks. In verse 3, two olive trees. But we've seen the two olive trees 
in Revelation 11. And the Bible says that the two olive trees stand by the candlesticks and empty themselves into the seven candlesticks, into the churches. They empty the oil, their olive trees. This is where your instruction comes from, your mother. Comes from the pastors of the churches. Seven is a number of divine refinement. Let me just go ahead and say this. Seven is the word Sheba. Sheba. In the Hebrew. The queen of Sheba is the queen of seven. And Shabua is a form of Sheba. I've got all the words, a list of all these words, where they come from up here. Shabua. Sheba is a form of Shabua. Shabua means to take an oath to God. But you can't do that when you first come to realize who God is. You first, you're converted and you're just young. You can't take an oath to God. Oh, you may promise God, but it don't mean nothing when you're young. You may be sincere and you may stick with it till it does mean something. This word Shabua means to take an oath. It also has another meaning and it's in the definition means two, seven, one's self. To be sevened. And the churches that you find in the second and third chapter, they need to be sevened, and that has to do with the tree of life. Now we've said that. The tree of life is our mother. And we're going to get instructions because it's written. We get instructions from each other when the word is pure from one another. To seven oneself. Well, there's a verse in Second Peter 1 and 5. It'll tell you how to be sevened. And it says, besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. Turn over to Second Peter. Here's how you become seventh. And this will lead from one thing to another. This is how you become seventh. Second Peter 1 and 5. And it names seven things the way you'll become sevened. Name seven things. You believe you think these numbers are important? I guess they are. Yep. Second Peter one and verse five. Besides all this, speaking of what he's telling us, besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith and it names seven things that you add to your faith number one virtue 
Here's how you become a seven. This is going to be fruit that we add to ourselves. When the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, before I go any further, let me flip back to Galatians. Galatians. All right. 5.22 Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is Now see the word is That's singular And the word fruit Is the word karpos K-A-R-P-O-S fruit. We're still talking about the tree of life that bears fruit. The tree of life has to be a figurative thing being our mother and our instructor. And it says the fruit of the spirit the is a particular one fruit. Karpos is singular. If you have one fruit, you are in the process of receiving them all. The fruit of the Spirit is. Is is a being verb, and it's singular. You don't get one fruit of the Spirit, and you don't get them all at once. You get them over time. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. Walking in the commandments of God. Joy. Kara. Kara, we are not to rejoice with iniquity in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Peace. Irene. E-I-R-E-N-E. Great peace have they who love thy law. Notice this all has to... Oh, by the way, the word law is the word nomos. It means legal, prescribed food for animals. And we are sheep. We keep talking about food. And we were talking about the seven stars bringing up the fruit in the vine. I hope you could get a... I'm trying to go as slow as I can. Gentleness. He says, peace. Long-suffering. When you get... These are the things you get when you get the fruit of God. Long-suffering. Macrothemia. Macro. M-A-K-R-O. M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. So you get one of these, the first thing in this was agape. Agape, Second John 6, is walking in the commandments of God. This is agape that we walk after his commandments. So this is agape. Well, if you have agape in the list of seven in Second Peter, it's going to increase 
encompass all of these because this is one. It'll encompass all the fruit of the Spirit since the fruit is singular. If you get, if God's working on His people to bring all the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit has to do with the tree of life. Can you see that? It takes time to understand this because there's so much to it. I've been working on this for a long time. Then he says, uh, long-suffering. You've got many words. Sometimes the word gentle will be one word. Sometimes it'll be another. Hold on a minute. I've got something that's out of place here. All right. Sometimes I don't even... Crestatos. Crestatos means to meet a need. C-H-R-E-S-T-A-T-O-S. C-H-R-E-S-T-A-T-O-S. That is a form of creo, which is anoint, and we're anointed with truth, there First John 2.22 says. We're anointed with truth. And truth has to do with the tree of life or the fruit of the Spirit. Then he goes on to say, goodness, faith. If you have faith, you have agape. If you walk in God's commandments. Meekness, prioritis, P-R-A-O-T-E-S. Meekness doesn't mean to be a pansy or a sissy. Meekness means to be tame. God has to tame us. We get, boy, I've just been saved and I just love the Lord. I'm going to do great things for Him until God goes, boom, and kind of presses you down and puts His hand on you and scrushes you. And you get old enough to say, I don't know much. I'm trying to learn. Then he says, temperance and kratia. That's one of the words that we add to our faith. E-G-K-R-E-T-E-I-A. E-G-K-R-E-T-E-I-A. That means inner control. It comes from kratuo, K-A. K-R-A-T-E-U-O, which means strength. Strength within yourself. You mean for what? For everything. Inner strength to control yourself. You mean sexually? Yes. You mean drinking? Yes. You mean drugs? Yes. You mean cigarettes? Yes. You mean anything that you are out of control, as Dave says. Eating. Eating. Yeah. You got to get control of yourself. And then he says, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's the law of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now back over here to Second Peter. Second Peter. I haven't finished Zechariah 4 yet. I'm just wanting to show you how I'm thinking as I'm putting these things together. Second Peter, 
besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. Now that word add is a very interesting word. It don't mean just put something else to your faith. Add is the word epi Corregio. It don't look like it, does it? <coughs> don't look like that. Epi C H O R E G E O. That's the word add. Now, for starters, that is an imperative mood. That means that is a command for everyone who has an ear to hear. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made him both of them. And if you have an ear to hear, he's commanding you to add these things. You mean all of a sudden? No, over time. Because I certainly didn't add them all of a sudden. And nobody else is going to add them real quick. No one. It's going to take time. First of all... Epicoregio is a dance. Epi. Anytime you see epi on a word, it means to cover or over or on top of. Cover. This means to cover yourself the, with the coregio of God. We get our word C H O R O G choreography. This is a dance. The Jews had a dance at their festival. They called it Haggadah. Not to be confused with the Haggadah of the commentary of the opposite of the Halakha. Not to be confused. The Haggadah was a circular dance where they would dance in a circle with their arms around each other, kicking their foot, singing Havad Nagila. That was a circular dance. I've got a book at home called The Sacred Dance, and it tells you all about the Jews' holy dance. This is the dance that we are to dance. It is a command, and he begins to name seven things that we have to add to our faith. We have to dance this dance. Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. Virtue, number one. Boy, that don't sound so hard. I can be a virtuous person. You can. Are you sure? <laughs> the word is arete. A-R-E-T-E. It means mature. You mean you grow up all of a sudden? It means to grow up. Grow up. You can do that. It's not easy to grow up. Because you have to learn to quit losing your temper. You gotta learn you you gotta have to learn you don't have any more vengeance. Does anybody have any desire for revenge? Why don't you raise your hand? <laughs> You got, you, everybody's had desire for revenge when somebody does you wrong, right? You have to come to a place where revenge means nothing. 
the Bible says in Second Timothy, the second chapter, the servant of the Lord does not fight. Fight is the word makumai. Makumai is our word macho. Means to fight. The servant of the Lord does not fight. But where does the fight start? Starts in your head. Then it comes out your mouth or out your fist. We're not to be fighting each other ever. Get rid of all your anger. Get rid of losing your temper. You have to get rid of that. That's a part of growing up. Then he goes on to say, Add to your faith knowledge. Gnosis. How long does it take you to learn these? Jim, how long did it take you to learn all these words? Oh, 40, 50, 60 years? I study constantly. I don't ever quit reading. I've got a library that I, I get up and I walk into and I feel like a little kid in a candy store. I've got thousands of books in my library. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm telling you, this is where I get my information. I never stop reading. And it convicts my heart the more I learn. And then it says, knowledge. The knowledge in Kratia, that's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And when you add the encratia, since it is one, since fruit, harpos, is singular, it's singular, that means you're adding all these other fruit of the Spirit along with encratia, inner strength. It's the ability to say no to yourself is what it is. When you don't want to say no, Patience. Hupomone. Hupomone. How many of you have that? The trying of your faith, the trying of your faith is much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. Your faith has to be tried. You have to go into the fire and stand the fire for years. To learn to get used to the fire. And you have to learn to embrace the fire. You don't push it away. All it's doing is burning out the impurities that are in you. You say, I have no impurities in me. Well, there's one of them right there. <laughs> and when you think you've already arrived, you haven't. Nobody has. I've said this so many times. You start off as a child and you're just so innocent and you you had to grow up and become real proud. And then God has to put you through fire and take you bound and make you a little child again. And when you get old, you turn into a child once again. You actually have to become what you started off as. And the older you get, the longer you real, the more you realize, I have to go back and be what I was born to be. We're none of us anything. Do you know there's no such thing as children and adults? There's children and older children. That's all there is.
children and older children because we don't ever quit learning, do we? You just get longer legs. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Get longer legs. All right, then he says, to patience, godliness, Eusebia, A-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. Eusebia, a well my Sebo. Mr. Strong says that has the resurrection involved in it. Resurrection, anastasis, means to come to life after dying. Life after dying, and how often do we die? We're supposed to be dying daily. Life after dying. Now, All right. And to brotherly and to godliness, brotherly kindness. But who's our brother? Who's our sister? Who is our mother? Those that do the will of the Father, right? That's our brothers and our sisters. Let me erase some of this. Alright. Brotherly kindness. Philos Adelphos. Get some of this off the board. Small room enough to write some more. Alright. Brotherly kindness. Philos. A D E L P H O S. Adelphos is the word brother. Philos and our brother and our sister and our mother are those who do the will of the Father in the third chapter of Mark. Philos means an affection. And Jesus said, You are my friends if you do the things that I say. If you do the things I say, there in the 15th chapter of John, do things I say, you're my friends. I have affection for you under one condition. You have to agape me and walk after my commandments. You see, love is not unconditional. It's conditional. If we do the things that God says, how can you do the things that God says with all of this apostate doctrine going on in the world? The Bible says in the 15th chapter of Proverbs that a, that a wholesome tongue a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Wholesome is the word marpe. Marpe has the same meaning as the word H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. In the New Testament, that's the word sound. Uncorrupt words. 
and you have uncorrupt words if you add these seven things to your faith and you have the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of a tree of life. Right? Am I losing you on this? I hope I'm not. What I'm trying to show you is how one thing is connected to the other. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. That's our mother. Length of days and long life. Notice to substitute equals. That's just the first semester of algebra. I use that all the time in the pulpit. People say, where do you get those answers? I use algebra a lot. I substitute equals for equals. I say, I've, if equals are added to equals, the results are equal. You have to learn to learn a little bit of algebra. If I call it algebra, so I don't understand algebra. Oh, goodness, don't talk about that. But if I just tell you, well, substitute these equals for equals. If this is equal to... Well, let me show you something on that that I haven't finished up. Go back to Zechariah. Zechariah, fourth chapter. I want you to learn. I'm not trying to teach you algebra. I'm trying to teach you the Bible. Mike said he, he went to a math conference out at Vanderbilt this past week. Talked to one of the physics professors or some guy that was brilliant. He said, the guy said, well, Mike gave him something on predestination. He said, predestination has to be true. It's mathematically that way. He said, this professor told him that. He said, everything has to be created by a common power. And he was sitting there admitting it. I told him I'd give him a DVD. I got one other thing I'm going to show you here. But look here, Zechariah. We've already established the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, right? And the seven angels are the seven messengers of the seven churches, or they're the oil inside the candlesticks, right? That's what Revelation, the first chapter, says. Then, here in the fourth chapter, we see two olive trees. I can't get this out of my mind. We see two olive trees. Let me see if I can put this out where you'll understand it better. Uh, let me see here. And the two olive, I'm going to show you who the two olive trees are because the two olive trees, you're going to find them in the 11th chapter of Revelation. The two olive trees are the two witnesses. Two olive trees. Equals two witnesses. I didn't say that. Revelation 11 says that. Hold your place in Zechariah 4. Look at Revelation 11. You can't answer the book of Revelation without going to the Old Testament. It's not possible. 
But if you don't want to think figurative, and you say, that's just too hard for me, then you'll never understand. Never. Look at Revelation 11. In verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses. My two witnesses. It takes two witnesses to verify anything in Israel. Numbers, the 35th chapter. Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter. Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter. It takes two witnesses in any of their courts of law. I give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. Clothed in sackcloth. I'll explain that later. These two witnesses are the two olive trees. Oh! That's the two olive trees over here that stand beside the candlesticks and empty themselves into the candlesticks, right? Because they're olive trees and they have olive oil in them. But who are the two witnesses? It's not Moses and Elijah or Moses and Enoch. The Bible tells you exactly who it is. If you go back over to... These are the two... These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before are representing the God of the, of the earth. And it says over here who they are. Zechariah 4 and verse 11. Then answer and said unto him, What are these two olive trees? Oh, it answered that in Revelation, didn't it? They're the two witnesses that God requires in their courts of law. Upon the right side of the candlesticks and on the left side. And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches? which through the two golden pipes emptied their oil out of themselves into the seven candlesticks where we get the light from. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. What were the two that were anointed in the Old Testament? The priest and the king. That's an out and out fact. This is the priest. And king. Who is that now? Us. It's us. What does Revelation 1 and 5 tell us? Revelation 1 and 5 tells us. 1 and 5 or 1 and 6 1 and 5 says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood we're back to baptism aren't we baptized does not mean to dip in water or sprinkle water it means to cover with a stain or die there's one of the unsound doctrines they're preaching today and hath made us kings and priests what do kings do? John seven twenty four. They judge or pronounce righteous 
righteous judgment. Oh, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Kings judge righteous judgment, and that's because Christ is in us and it's coming from our heart. Therefore, when it's coming from our heart, that's our mother, isn't it? Our mother length of days and long life, and that's a tree of life. The tree of life and the mother are the same thing. All right. And what does a king do? What does a priest do? Huh? What does a priest do? Offer acceptable sacrifice. You cannot anywhere in the Bible, anywhere, you cannot offer sacrifice unless you are a priest. God hath made us priests and kings. And when you look at First Peter, the second chapter, look at First Peter. Second chapter, verse, verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's your logos service. It's your word service to God, but we can't offer bodies unless we are a priest. And God hath made us priests and kings. He's anointed us with the truth, and the two that were anointed are the two olive trees in the Old Testament, and that is... The two witnesses. Goodness. I'd like to go there. But I don't have time to go there. Now let's go back over here to Zechariah 4. Now we already established that the seven candlesticks. We already established that that's the seven churches, haven't we? Huh? Have we established that? Yep, we have. I'll say that yes, we have. There's one other thing I want you to see. Verse 10, chapter 4. Let me just put this on the board. The seven churches equals seven candlesticks, right? Isn't that what Revelation 1 and 20 says? Now notice what it says here says here in verse 10 who hath despised the day of small things for they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet a plumb line that's what they measured things with back then in the hand of Zerubbabel now who in the world is Zerubbabel he's in the lineage of Judah Judah is the fourth son of Jacob and out of Judah 
out of Judah would come the king. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, till Shiloh come. Peace comes. Shiloh is a variation of Shalom. Peace comes out of Judah, and Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And David was the first king to establish the lineage of Judah. And Judah is the fourth son. And out of Judah will come Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is in the lineage of Christ in Matthew the first chapter. If they hadn't have been such a rebellious nation, Zerubbabel would have been king instead of governor. So when it mentions his name all through Zechariah, he was in the lineage of the kings. He would have been king. So it says, For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven candlesticks. They are the eyes of the Lord. The seven candlesticks equals eyes, eyes of the Lord. And that's very interesting because you go back to the second chapter, the second chapter. If the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord and the seven churches are the seven candlesticks, then the eyes of the Lord is the refined church. Right? Now, let me give you one other thing here. Maybe a couple of more things on this. I don't know which way to go. Let's back up to verse chapter 2. Chapter 2. This chapter is equivalent to the 11th chapter of Revelation. You see a man measuring with a measuring stick in the first part of this. I lifted up mine eyes and again and looked and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand to measure. Now, during this time period, this is approximately 520 B.C. And Israel is over here in Babylon. They've been carried away. They've been carried away in 586 B.C. Now, the men who's prophesying right now is Zechariah and Haggai. They've, I got a lot to say about them, but I don't have time to. Now, if you look at this man is going to measure Jerusalem. There is no Jerusalem in Babylon. That's, he's prophesying in 520 and Jerusalem has been carried over to Babylon. There's not a Jerusalem. Unless it's spiritual. Unless it's the believers that's been carried away with the unbelief into Babylon. In fact, look here at Revelation 11. 
You can't find the answers to Revelation without going to the Old Testament. Revelation 11. I did a four and a half years on the book of Revelation on Sunday night. If you want to watch them, you'll have to take three at a time. It'll take forever to watch them. There was so much in this. I use mathematics all the time through the Bible. I just don't tell you it's mathematics. If I said it's mathematics, those of you who didn't make good grades, the only reason you didn't make a good grade is because you had a terrible teacher. That's why. Because mathematics in the Bible is everywhere. It's just... It makes the Bible astounding. Now, where did I say I was going to go over here to chapter 11... You can't even see what this guy's doing unless you're over here in chapter 11. The first verse here, the guy's got a measuring line in his hand. In verse 2 of chapter 2 of Zechariah, Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is carried away into Babylon. But if you haven't studied enough of this, you're not going to know that. Are you? To see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. What would be a word in the New Testament that would show the measurement of God's people? A boundary. Horizo. Thank you. Horizo means boundary. It's our word. This is a diacritical mark. Has a breathing sound. Horizo. It's our word horizon. Prohorizo is the word predestinate. It's not predestinate. It means much more than that. It means to predetermine the boundary line for God's people. It's a boundary of light. And you see the same thing happening in the 11th chapter. Verse 1, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. But wait a minute. <laughs> measure the temple of God. What would be the temple of God at this point? This is 96 A.D. when John wrote the book of Revelation. 96 A.D. What would be the temple at that point? has to be the church, doesn't it? Because the temple of God was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Vespasian, the emperor of Rome, when he sent his son Titus in there to slaughter Israel, pull down the temple. So if he's going to measure the temple of God, he's not going to measure a temple in Jerusalem, is he? No. It's... I hope I'm not losing everybody. All right. Measure the temple of God. and But we got to go back over here to... Now remember, the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord, right? I didn't mean to get into this this morning. How much time do I have? I can't finish this up. It's, I didn't even mean to go here. I can't get some of this without going to where it goes. Alright. Alright. Look on here. So he's going to measure the temple of God. In verse 4, he said, And said unto him, Run, 
speak to this young man saying Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls that's because they're in they're in Babylon for a multitude of men and cattle and I and for I said the Lord will be unto her a wall of fire round about God's going to protect his Jerusalem wherever they are and we are heavenly Jerusalem the church and will be the glory of in the midst of her. Ho, ho. That's a cry of woe. Come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. Zacharias telling Israel, come back home. You've got these decrees to come back from these Persian kings to rebuild the temple. Come back. And then he says, For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, saith the Lord. I told you I would scatter you because you went after this Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, worshiping the gods of the ancient world. Deliver thyself, O Zion. Wait a minute. Zion was the mountain where Jerusalem sat over in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. What does he mean by Zion? Zion means sunny. That was a term that God called the people was Zion. I'm not talking about a pile of dirt, a mountain where that they built up Jerusalem. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. You're over in Babylon. If you don't know the history of this Zachariah and Haggai. I love those guys. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of my eye. Love that. Apple is the word baba. And it means pupil. We are the pupil of God's eye. We are what he sees. Those kings in that day and time would go out in public in a cart. They have a basket of apples in front of them. And they had favorite servants. They'd take an apple and throw it to their favorite people. Ones that they favored like grace. Now, the apple of the eye is the opening of the eye. That's where the light goes in. This is what's amazing. This is amazing to me. The apple of the eye. The iris of the eye, the iris of the eye is a wheel inside of a wheel. But if it's smaller, it would be like so. If the eye is not, if your eye is more pinpointed,
And the Bible says, anyone who touches the apple of my eye, the iris, which is the pupil, oh, excuse me, not the iris, the pupil, whoever touches the pupil of the eye has punched me in the eye. And that's my church. Well, what's amazing about the pupil? I got this out of Grey's Anatomy. I don't mean the TV show. I, uh, I think I got a Grey's Anatomy up here. Here it is. You can get this out of Grey's Anatomy. This is a first-year book for medical students. And it'll tell you about this. That the that the when a let me put it up here let me erase this because it's going to be more like this right here when you punch someone in the eye the iris bows back bends back and tears start coming from the eye when the light goes into the pupil it goes through the lens. The lens is the lens is like one five thousandth of an inch thick and it's a layer of triangular prisms. And when you run light through a prism, it begins to break off into seven colors. That's the way colors is spelt in the Bible. Breaks into seven colors. What you see when you see shapes, you don't see shapes. You see a refraction of colors. That's what you don't see. The part that you don't see is what the color that shows up. So when you... This is amazing. If you punch God in the eye, His eye gets inflamed. How is He coming back? With his eyes as a flame of fire in Revelation 19. He's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. You have to be obedient to the gospel. That's the resurrection. That's coming to life after dying. You have to be. You don't get to go to heaven unless you obey the gospel. Boy, we've got false doctrine out there saying, all you do is pray a sinner's prayer and you get to go to heaven. No, you don't. That's unsound doctrine. You have to believe God. If you believe Him, you'll try to be obedient to His Word. But you're not saved by works, but you are saved by working faith. Faith without works is dead being alone. It's like having a car without a motor. But the amazing thing here, you got a lining, an inner lining, in the retina of the eye. And that lining that's on top of the retina is called Jacob's 
membrane. And it is a lining of several hundred thousand cones. And they are hexagonal shaped. They're hexagonal shaped cones and they are hexagonal shaped prisms which refines the light that much more so you can see shapes and figures in the distance. And that's called Jacob's membrane and it's hexagonal shaped cones. The same thing as the Star of David or the candlesticks. It's amazing, isn't it? It's all just flushing together. I've got series on this and these cones they are hexagonal shaped they're Star of David what they are. did you know that the hexagon is the strongest shape in nature you, if you build something hexagonal your house probably won't blow down not in the worst hurricanes the you got hexagons all through nature you got hexagons did you know the shape of every snowflake you can get that out of McClinic and Strong is either a hexagon or it's a triangle all snowflakes the shape of the that the bees build their hives in it's hexagonal shaped little bitty uh, hexagons they build their hives out of you'll find these hexagons all through nature and I got one other thing to give you here I'm going to have to cut it off I, I can keep going now go back over here notice these are tying together we said that the seven churches are the I read this last week, but it didn't mean as much since I'm reading it this week and putting it together with these eyes of the Lord. The seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord. The seven churches are the seven candlesticks. Therefore, the seven churches has to be the seven eyes of the Lord. And you got seven colors inside the human eye. And that's all the shapes that you see is seven colors. And you have to add to your faith. I didn't finish that. Look back at Revelation 2. Do you think that God just, this is all accidental? Is that what you think? All these sevens come together like this? You got sevens all through the book of Revelation. You got seven stars, seven eyes, seven candlesticks, seven spirit seven it goes on and on now look at this second chapter of revelation i said each one of these has a glitch in it has a sin in it chapter 2 verse 1 unto the angel of the church of ephesus write 
Ephesus had a glitch. In fact, it had several guys there at Ephesus that was preaching unsound doctrine. Had Hymenaeus and Philetus. They were preaching the resurrection was past. It was one time in the past when you got saved and you accepted Christ and you just got, got it in the past. And that ate like a canker, a gangrene. Because we have to resurrect daily in Christ when we die daily, don't we? And you had Hymenaeus and Alexander. Alexander stood against Paul in the Acts of the 19th chapter when he stood there and they took him into the Agon and they were ready to kill Paul. And Alexander, a young preacher at the church in Ephesus, stood with the enemy. Paul said, that man named Alexander, be thou ware of him. And he was a preacher. And you had Hymenaeus and Phygelus. They were doing something that was messed up. So Ephesus was in bad shape with a bunch of false teachers of our trying to get in. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. That's the seven spirits of the seven churches, the seven preachers who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks. I know your works and thy labor and thy patience. I know you've had all of this, Ephesus. How thou canst not bear them which are evil and Hast thou tried them which they say they are apostles? Talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander and Hermogenes and Phygelus. And are not and has found them liars. He has to be talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus. You can read about them in Second Timothy, the second chapter. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have something against you, Ephesus. So they're going to have to get this straight to be sevened. You get that? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first agape. You've quit walking in the commandments of God. That's your problem, Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. I will remove your candlestick. You'll quit shining when you quit walking in the agape of God. And out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I hate them too. We don't know exactly who they were. They may have been followers of Nicholas, one of the first deacons there. Nobody knows. They've, everybody's guessed at him. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, overcometh, Nikao. N-I-K-L. Every time you find overcome, it's the word nikao. That's the verb. The noun is N-I-K-E. 
I'm sure it's where they got Nike. Because if you wear Nike shoes, you cannot run everybody that owns the other old cheap shoes, can't you? <laughs> Nikkei is the word victory. And what is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith? And if you have faith, I will give it to you to eat of the tree of life. That's what he goes on to say here, doesn't he? So these have to do with the tree of life. And that tree of life has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. And you'll have to eat of the tree of life. Jim, I haven't arrived there yet. Well, a lot of you are just too young to arrive there. If you're under 60, you're too young to have arrived yet. You'll start really arriving when you hit about 65. That's when you say, Lord, I thought I knew everything. I don't know much anymore. That's when you realize how little you've learned. When you really realize that if you have learned, it is God that has taught you. God has taught me more in these last 15 years than I learned all the rest of my life. Since I was 65, I have learned more than I ever knew. Because my attitude's changed about everything. I've had to learn that. Notice how the tree of life is right here with the glitch in Ephesus. That's the instruction. You've left the instruction of God. When you leave the instruction of God, your life gets upset in a topsy-turvy world and you don't know what to do. I've got so much more on this. I did a series on the eyes of the Lord. It was, uh, I don't know how many messages. How many messages was it, Mike? Fried my brain. Fried my, huh? Eight or nine. Was it eight or nine? We'd go downstairs and Mary said, go teach on those eyes again tonight. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> it's a lot of things. I've got more to say on, you got the wheel and the wheel. When you look up wheel in McClinic and Strong, the war wheel of the war chariots of the Babylonians that came in was a wheel inside of a wheel. And it was six spokes. It was six spokes. just like this and when they came in when those Babylonians come in to conquer Israel and the priests could see this wheel they would say the eyes of the Lord are here it was like terrifying well in the wheel wasn't some chariot from heaven it was the Assyrians that were there. It was the judgment of God. But you can't, if you don't, I got more to say about the, I didn't finish up. Do I have any time left? Two minutes. I can't finish that. I'll have to do it next week. When you add the seven things, when you add the seven things to your faith, they make you that you will never fall.
when you get real mature in the faith, you won't fall anymore. And they will, the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Be bios is the word sure. Means to stabilize your faith by adding these seven things. Stabilize. I may come back to this this next week. I haven't really finished this. It's a lot to it. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the Word. It's our comfort. It's our instructor, our mother. Thank you for all that you do. I pray that you'll give me strength to keep going for years to come, if that's within your will, Lord. Fight our battles. We'll give you praise for all things in Christ's name. Amen. I hope I didn't lose everybody there. Uh, that was heavy. <laughs> He ain't heavy. He's my brother. <laughs> that is heavy, isn't it? take chemistry and physics and math and learn it so you can be like Papa when you grow older. <laughs> Hello, Aaron. Oh, CJ. This scared me, though. Y'all want some gum? Yes. All right. Come on over here and I'll give you some gum. Another one on Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Really, just phenomenal. That is a one. I remember you did a oh a bunch of them at the house. Yeah, a bunch. Connie couldn't come here today, but I'll get it. Uh, it's something else. She's it's, a babysitter, and her daughter didn't come over at ten o'clock. She's supposed. She's to a babysitter. So I'm going to bring the hammer. Down right okay. We're going to babysit. I'm having to get some gum for them. You have to excuse me while I get them gum. Give your brother one. You want one of these?